Although that song is a bit challenging to sing, it is very fitting in preparation to hear God's word this morning, wherein we will find that very song uh, there written for us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Magnificat, Mary's song of praise. And so let's turn to the scripture reading that we will consider this morning from Luke chapter 1, verse 39 to 56. Luke chapter 1, verse 39 to 56. As we read this, may the Holy Spirit open our hearts and give us fresh eyes and minds to see and behold and receive the good news that we find here. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glory glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble estate of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him, From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever, just as he had promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Loved ones, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this Christmas season, we are considering together Luke's accounts that we find here about the birth story of Jesus. And these stories are filled with awe, wonder, and joy. Why? Why is that? Well, for one, we think of this welcoming a newborn child into this world that is a wonderful experience is it not you know even just yesterday morning a a family in our church the madris family kenneth and melanie madris they welcomed into this world their own newborn child little Maisie ann and that will be a memory that they will cherish forever and you who are parents here today You can think back on your own pregnancies and that special time, that season in your life and the births of your own children, all the excitement that you had in telling your friends and family that you're expecting, the anticipation that builds over those nine months, and then the birth experience itself. So nine months of awe, eagerness, and joy. Uh, Not to mention those birth pains, right, along the way. Those are there as well. You know, it's often said that women forget 
exactly what the pain of childbirth is like because of the, the brain kind of edits out and erases that, that pain from their memory. That's often said, but in recent studies, it indicates that that's exactly not true, so to speak. Uh, rather, what is true, I think, what we can affirm is this, that the joy of holding and caring your own newborn child eventually overshadows those birth pains. In other words, the intense joy that you have by holding your child outweighs the intense pains that you went through in order to get there. And so as a mother kind of looks into her child's eyes for that first time, the overwhelming joy convinces, convinces her that it was all worth it. It was all worth it. And so this Christmas story is about the joy of bringing a child into the world. But it is far more than that, right? This wasn't just any child. This is the child who was destined for greatness because of who he was. He was the greatest child ever born, the one who would bring the greatest joy that we could ever hope for. The story about Jesus' birth tells us about the arrival of intense joy that outweighs all the intense pains that we suffer in this world. Not just the intense momentary pains of childbirth, but all the pains of this world are overshadowed and outweighed by the intense joy that Christ has brought. As we look into this passage this morning, we see leaps and shouts of joy. And I want you to see that this is not just a private celebration of two women rejoicing in the pregnancy and future births of their own children, but Mary, Elizabeth, and little baby John here, in the womb of his mother, they are celebrating the joy that was not just for them, but the joy that was for the whole world that Christ would bring. And in order to see why the birth that Christ brings, uh, how the joy that Christ brings is for the whole world, that outweighs all the pains of this world, we need to see the greatness of who Christ himself was and is. The greatness of this child born to Mary. And so to see that, we'll consider three points this morning. First is the prophet in the womb. And second, the praise for God. And lastly, the proleptic promise or perspective that we see here. So first, a prophet in the womb. The first thing that Luke tells us here in this story, in this account, is that Mary, she finds out she's going to have a child after the visit by Gabriel, the angel, and then she hurries off to visit her relatives. Now, why did she hurry off? Why did she go in haste? Now, we go in haste, we hurry to some place when we are either afraid or eager. For example, in the Old Testament, Israel, they left in haste from Egypt, right, out of fear and eagerness, fear of the Egyptians, but also eagerness to receive what God had in store for them. And so what was Mary afraid of? What was she eager for? Well, maybe she was afraid of the gossip. Maybe she was afraid of the gossip and the accusations that would likely come to her from people in her own town. A pregnant, unwed woman, uh, Mary and her child, well, they would be stigmatized and slandered by society all the days of their life. And so it made sense that she would leave in haste out of fear of such slander, such accusations. Or maybe, maybe like a young pregnant woman, she was excited to share the good news with her favorite cousin or her favorite aunt. We don't know the exact relationship that she had with Elizabeth. 
Maybe she was eager to go celebrate with the only person on, plan on the planet who could understand completely with her and actually celebrate with her the good news of what they were both experiencing, Elizabeth, because Elizabeth knew what was happening to Mary. Or maybe she had questions and was eager to visit her wisest relative, her godliest relative, who could kind of be a spiritual mentor to her. You know, she was only about 14 years of age at this point, so she probably had very uh, big questions to ask. This was a monumental responsibility that was given to her. Or maybe she wanted to check and see if the angelic vision or visitation that she had received was in fact real, or maybe it was a crazy dream. And since she heard in that visit that Gabriel had told her about Elizabeth's angelic encounter, that Elizabeth also had received a visit, well, she was perhaps eager to go ask Elizabeth if she actually experienced the same kind of thing that she did. She wanted to know if it was true. She wanted to go verify her faith. And so we see that here she is. We don't know exactly why she left in haste. It could have been any of those reasons, or it could have been a combination of all of those reasons together. She was probably a bit afraid and a bit eager, and so she hurried off to visit her relatives. And as she enters into the home, she enters in, and obviously she didn't knock or wait outside to be invited in. She enters in freely and greets them warmly. She's probably a very close relative that often visited uh, her relatives and family there. And so she comes in greeting them, perhaps saying, Shalom, it is I, Mary, Shalom. And Elizabeth hears Mary's voice and almost immediately recognizes that this young relative of hers was carrying in her own body, in her womb, the Messiah, her Lord. Now, how did she come to that conclusion? How did Elizabeth arrive to that conclusion? Just by hearing Mary's greeting. Well, it wasn't Mary's words alone that gave it away. It wasn't her kind of angelic voice. That's not what the text is implying at all. What then was it? It was this, the prophetic leaps of baby John in the womb. So remember, at this point, Elizabeth is six months pregnant with her own child, John. And according to what the angel Gabriel had told her, she knew that John would be a great prophet. And so like the prophets of old in the Old Testament, who all pointed forward to the coming of the Messiah, so too she expected that her child would point forward to the Messiah, prepare hearts for the coming of the Messiah. John was destined to be the greatest of the prophets. And that's what Jesus says in Matthew 11, 11, where Jesus later says, Truly I tell you, among those born of, the women, of women, there has not risen any greater than John the Baptist. So the greatest of the prophets. And in what way was John a great prophet? Well, we see here in this text how great he was in the sense that these early prophetic leaps indicate that the Spirit of God was already upon him as a child, as an infant, a fetus in the womb. John already had the anointing or the unction of the Holy Spirit as a prophet. No other prophet, no other prophet in the Old Testament was called from such an early age as John. And so he was greater than all those who were born before him. Not only that, but John's glory was greater than that of Moses and Elijah, Elijah and Isaiah because John was the closest 
to the glory of God in the Messiah. If you think about this, if you happen to be in a very dark room where there is only one lamp and it's a room that's filled with people, which person will be most visible? Which person will be shining and glowing? Well, the one that is closest to that lamp in the dark room. And so we see that who is the person closest to the light of the world? It's John. John, this prophet, of whom John in his gospel says he was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And so John was the greatest, the Old Testament prophets, because he was the closest to the greatness of God in Christ. He was a forerunner to Christ. And here in this text, we see as a forerunner in the womb, he's already getting his legs warmed up for his ministry of preparing the hearts of Israel for the coming of the Messiah. And the, greatest, the greatness of John here points, in fact, to the surpassing greatness of Christ, of whom he was sent to preach about. John, we can think of him as the last performer in the parade of prophets just before the grand finale, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. We can think of John as the last opening band to play right before the headliner, the long-expected Messiah. He was the MC, in a sense, who introduced to the center stage of all of human history, Emmanuel, God with us. And that's exactly what angel Gabriel had told Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, in Luke 1.15 to 17. He said of John that he will be great before the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So Zechariah and Elizabeth, they knew of this promise. They knew that John was perhaps already filled with the Holy Spirit as a prophet in the womb. And she knew that her son's prophetic mission was to prepare God's people for the coming of the Lord. And so maybe as Mary came in, maybe Elizabeth was folding clothes or doing some kind of house labor. And maybe she was meditating and thinking about that very promise that she had received when Mary walked in. And Luke tells us that right after she hears Mary's voice, baby John started to flutter kick with joy in her womb. Just imagine that. And she knew, she knew when she felt that, that something was happening. What was going on in Elizabeth's mind? Well, she connected the dots by faith, right? God told her that John would prepare people for the arrival of the Lord when he was still in the womb and those unique kicks at that precise moment when Mary greeted her prepared Elizabeth's heart for the Lord's arrival. So we see that even as an unborn baby, John's leaps of joy prophetically prepared Elizabeth's heart for Christ. That doesn't mean that we should conclude that John himself was responding intelligently to Mary's voice as if he had at this moment a mature mind. No, rather what we should come to conclude is that God's spirit was already upon this unborn son of Elizabeth, John, to be a prophet. So the intelligence of God by the spirit is working through John as an infant here. And this text implies or shows us some important truths, right? That this six-month-old fetus was considered by God a true human being with a name and personality already. It says he leaped with 
joy. He already had a measure of joy. Not only that, but this six-month-old fetus, whose viability at that point entirely depended upon his own mother and her body, well, he was used by God as a prophet. Amazing. So we see here that in the womb at around 24 weeks old, were the feet of a prophet kicking at his mother's belly, signaling to her, the Messiah has arrived. He's coming in your home. He is here. And as Isaiah says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, even the feet of little John the Baptist in his mother's womb. And here we see the Bible is 100% clear on this point, that personal human life begins long before birth, long before birth, long before 24 weeks. In fact, it begins all the way back at the point of conception. And where do we see that in this story? Well, it's very clear. John, he, he is 24 weeks old here, about, and kicking, right? But notice what Elizabeth recognizes. She realized that Mary was already with child, that the Lord was already with her, even though she is probably only two to four weeks old at this, or two to four weeks pregnant at this point. And so Jesus was here in this moment at a very early stage in the embryonic development of himself as a human being at about one-sixth of an inch big, the size of about a grain of rice. Amazing. And at that stage, earlier than most women ever find out that they are pregnant, Elizabeth calls Mary the mother of my Lord. She doesn't say the woman who will become the mother of my Lord, but the one who is already the mother of my Lord because the living child was already in her womb. And so Elizabeth recognizes here in this text that the tiny embryonic baby in Mary's womb is in fact the Lord her God. Incredible. It took Thomas, the doubter, three years of walking with Jesus, witnessing his miracles, ultimately seeing his body raised from the dead to finally recognize Jesus as his Lord and his God. By comparison, for Elizabeth, it only took Mary's greeting and the joyful leaps of the prophet in her womb to convince her. To convince her of what? That that tiny human being forming inside her young relative was the Lord her God, her Savior, her Messiah, King. Now, how did she respond? Well, Luke says Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb. And so she's overcome, in a sense, with the Holy Spirit, and this fits with the Old Testament expectations that the arrival of the Messiah would bring along with him the age of the Spirit. The God the Father did not just send his Son alone into the world. The Holy Spirit came as his guide, as his mentor, as his ever-present help in time of need, sort of as his loyal sidekick or faithful squire, helping Jesus all along the way until he finished his great mission. And so we see here the truth in this story that the Holy Spirit was preparing the way, setting the stage, directing all the actors in this real-life play of redemption. And for what? Well, here in this text particularly, in this story, it was to strengthen young Mary's faith in the promises of God. To strengthen her for her task as well. 
She had an important role to play, and she needed great faith in order to properly raise the Son of God. And that's why we find the Holy Spirit here fortifying the foundations of her faith with this God-inspired visitation and this, these words from Elizabeth. Now, what was the truth that Elizabeth proclaimed by the Spirit? And that leads us to our second point, the praise that comes off the lips of Elizabeth, but also the praise that comes off of Mary's lips as well. Well, we hear these shouts of joy, right, from Elizabeth. She's shouting with joy, and she's affirming some great truths. She said that Mary is especially blessed because the child in her womb was blessed, the blessed Lord himself. And so Mary does not have blessedness in herself as a natural attribute, no. But she, she is called blessed because she received this blessed gift of grace from the Lord. And Elizabeth herself counts it a great blessing to be in the presence of Mary because Mary carried such a great child. And she also blesses Mary for believing God's promise to her. And this is Luke's way of encouraging us to respond in faith in the same way, to receive the same blessing of Mary by responding in faith to God's promises. And now we consider what Mary says in response to Elizabeth's proclamation. We see how Mary's faith was strengthened by the words of Elizabeth, by this divine encounter in a sense, the words of the, the prophecy through Elizabeth, and we hear what Mary says, this kind of poetic retelling of how she responded. This Magnificat is what it's called because she magnified the Lord, her God. And her song of praise magnifies God first for blessing her personally, despite her lowly estate, for blessing then the people of Israel in the past, time and time again, despite their many sins, and then also he, she praises God for the promise of future blessings to come. She rejoiced with praise in God's gift of salvation. She calls him my Savior and the mighty one who has done great things for me. So Mary recognized with thankfulness the unique blessing and privilege that she had received and that from that point on, generations would call her blessed. And this was a cause for great joy personally, for her. And it also encourages us to respond in a like manner, right? How should we respond? Well, we should respond with praise and joy that the Son of God was given not just for others, but for us personally. Like Mary, we should magnify God for the unique blessing of receiving Jesus by faith, not only for sinners, but for me, a sinner saved by grace. And so we too should revel in God's mercy for us that has come to the down and outs of the world. But then notice how after Mary praises God for blessing her personally, particularly, Mary says this, holy is his name. So the great things that God has done for her, little Mary, reminded her of what God had done time and time again for his people, little Israel. His name is holy because his ways are holy. He is distinct, set apart, and we can think of it in this way, that the way that God has revealed himself to his people and in this world has always been holy, always distinct, always set apart, kind of strangely set apart. Unlike the false gods of the nations, the one true God is not limited or contained by a statue or a carved block of wood. No, this God appeared to Moses in the flames of fire within a bush that was not consumed. Back in Exodus chapter 3, 
The Christmas story reminds us that the God of the Bible is not locked into four walls of a temple. He is the God who led the people of Israel in the wilderness by pillar of cloud and by pillar of fire, of whom Paul says he is not far from any of us. In him we live and move and have our being. This God who is holy has always shown up in holy, distinct ways. And we see what Mary is realizing here. The truth is kind of hitting her at this point, it seems. The, the truth that the same God who spoke to their forefathers, to Abraham, Moses, and David, has now spoken to her, has now blessed her, has now given his own son to her to love and cherish as her own, that God had revealed himself to her. Now talk about holy and distinct ways of showing up. It doesn't get any stranger or more scandalous than this. The same mighty God who parted the Red Sea was now mysteriously part of his own creation. The God of the holy fire that did not consume the bush was now inside of Mary's body. And when Mary expressed these thoughts on that day in Elizabeth's living room, the eternal Son of God was a tiny embryo attached to her uterus. Incredible. John, Elizabeth, and Mary were coming to grips with the phenomenon of what God was doing and would continue to do through them. And they praised God with these leaps and shouts of joy. But not only that, not only were they praising God for what he had done, but also Mary has this proleptic perspective here. That means that she praised God with the anticipation of what he would continue to do, what he would do through her great son. And that's our third point. The proleptic perspective. That after mentioning God's holy name, holiness, God's holy name, what, is, what comes to her mind? What does Mary point to? When she thinks of God's holiness, what comes to her mind? Well, she sings of God's mercy, his holy mercy. She says, holy is his name, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. See, Mary is thinking about that holy family tree of God's mercy whose branches connect believers from one generation to the next. And if each of us were eager investigators or historians, we could trace back how we received the gospel and how our ancestors received the gospel. And we can see how God has throughout the ages extended his mercy that reaches us, a testimony of God's covenant grace, his mercy that is extensive, and how we've been grafted into that holy family. And what connects us all? God's own mercy and grace to us in Christ. But Mary thinks, as she thinks of the mercy of God in the past, she is also anticipating God's mercy in the future, realizing what God has done in the past prepares her for what God will do in the future. The first great thing she says that God did of old here is that he performed mighty deeds with his outstretched arm and scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts and brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. This kind of talk should remind us of stories like Daniel in the Old Testament with the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar, who was this proud narcissist sitting upon his throne, and how God brought down that proud man to be like a beast grazing among the fields, whereas with Daniel and his friends, he lifted them up to places of prestige and power. So how would God do that again in the future? How would God do what Mary speaks of here in this text? 
How would God depose the proud and promote the humble? How would he fill up those who are empty and send those who are full away with nothing? How would God remember his promises and help his people? Well, Mary, she didn't fully know at this point. She couldn't know yet because God fully hadn't revealed it. But she did know some things. She knew that God had done it before for his people, taking down men like Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar. And because he said he'd do it again, that he would, because he is faithful and true to his promises. You know, maybe you have a friend or a relative that's always kind of getting in fights, you know, either at a bar over drinks or at the grocery store um, over, uh, you know, in, in the line for the checkout. Someone's just always bubbling with anger, right? Someone who is quick and prone to flare up and provoked to hate others. And so we can expect that person to lash out, right? To lash out in the future again with anger and bitterness. You know, this is actually how it works with God. But flipped, reversed, upside down. He is the God who has entered into our physical realm to save people like he did with his people Israel in Egypt. And the fact that God has done such mighty acts of salvation in the past tells us about his heart, who he is at the core. All of his actions and words flow from his heart. And so unlike us, unlike us who are prone to evil, God is prone to show mercy to his people. He is abounding in steadfast love. And so we can expect God to lavish us with love and grace in the future. Why? Because his actions and words always reveal his heart for us, and his heart shows us who he is. He is love, and therefore we can expect and be assured that he will love us again and again. This is the way that God works. This is what Mary is thinking about. This is the way God works, not only from the outside looking in to human history, but from the inside looking out. And that's what Christmas is really all about, how God became a man. Not only that, a lowly peasant boy, born into poverty. He knows what it's like to be hungry and hated. He knows what it's like to be poor and oppressed. He knows what it's like to be vulnerable and victimized. He knows not only from his divine, godly perspective, but now he knows it from his human perspective, from his own experience in the flesh. He knows our pain, he sympathizes with us, and he helps sinners in their need. So Mary was meditating on the modus operandi of God, how he likes to bring down the proud from their thrones and lift up the humble. She didn't know how God would do that exactly, but 30 years later, we find out how he did. How one day that same child would be hanged on the cross in order to save great sinners like us. Christmas is about the Son of God who came to suffer in our place in order to lift up Wounded sinners, poor and needy, sick and sore, as the hymn says, come, Jesus is ready. He stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. This is how God has done what Mary proleptically spoke of and sang of in this song. What does this mean for us? Well, in order to find the full joy of Christmas, you need to see the fullness of God in Christ who came in holy mercy for sinners like us. You must see that the son of Mary is greater than John the baptizer, greater than every religious leader to walk this earth, greater than all other false gods, greater than all technology and wealth of this world, 
that Jesus is the one true God to whom we owe all of our allegiance. Not just any child was born, but this child is the greatest child ever born. The one who would bring intense joy that outweighs all of the intense pains of this life in this world. So Christmas is about God coming in weakness and humility in order to show holy mercy, in order to forgive us our sins. He first came not to judge the world, but to save the world and to bring us joy. There was great joy when Jesus left the womb and the joy of anticipation that Mary and Elizabeth celebrated, but there would be greater joy when Jesus left the tomb, victorious and triumphant, the joy of completion, the completion of his task. So, loved ones, Jesus came and endured the pains of the cross in order to give us joy, the joy of his salvation, the joy of his resurrection life. And so, do you have that joy this morning? Is that joy yours? Does your heart leap and shout with joy along with John, Elizabeth, and with Mary? Believe in God's promises. Believe in this wonderful story that is the truth of what God has done for us. The Son of God who was born to bring eternal leaps and joy for those who believe in him and his holy mercy. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for this wondrous text that speaks of your mighty acts of salvation and your great humility and mercy, all you have done to save sinners like us. We recognize that, in fact, what we deserve is for you to come in wrath and in judgment, but instead you came in mercy to bring joy. And so, Lord, we we rejoice with little John and Elizabeth and Mary. Our hearts sing and shout with joy and leap with them as we consider all that you have done for us through Christ. We ask that you would give us the humility to lay down our evil doing and to believe in Jesus and the joy that he has accomplished and completed for us through his life, death, and resurrection. Fill us with joy this Christmas season, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Loved ones, let's uh, respond with the song of...